ever look. I appreciate all of the media sources that we have out there, but don't ever let them dictate what you believe, good or bad. The Bible dictates what we believe. We listen to the Holy Spirit. And uh, public opinion, just because 100 people believe it's right, doesn't make it right. And sometimes we get caught up with, well, you know, a lot of people said, well, who cares what a lot of people said? What I care about is what does God have to say about it? Amen? And uh, so you have to do some studying on your own for that to, to figure all that out. But revival really, you know, became more about just kind of getting people refreshed and woken up and, you know, ready to do the things of the kingdom in the fall. And uh, God's intent is, is that we live revived in our lives. Uh, you heard me share a couple of weeks ago that John Wesley, who's one of my great heroes in the faith, said, if you want revival, draw a circle, stand in the middle of it, pray everything in the circle gets revived. Stop worrying about what the person next to you, what their circle looks like and what they're doing. Because sometimes revive, when we say, man, we need revival, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about everybody else. And let me tell you who needs revival. You do. Look at your neighbor and say, he's picking on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Peter, he, he after this great miracle happens, he preaches this message and he says in verse 19 of chapter 3 of Acts, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that they may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world Began. So there are three things we've taken, we're, we've two of them that we've looked at. Repent, uh, what we talked about what repentance was, excuse me, that repentance isn't just being sorry for what we did, it's turning away from what we did to Christ to ask him to help us, to help fill our lives with, uh, you know, to, to build our lives once again. And so repent means to turn away from something to something. Then we talked about last week, we got in talking about the times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord and that God wants us to be refreshed in our lives. And so uh, as we looked at that, we moved to this next part, which is the times of restoration. And I want you to notice here, if you will, uh, in, your, in the passage, verse 21, it says, heaven must receive Christ until the times of restoration. A couple things I you're making notes. One is is that times is plural there. Uh, times is plural. So this is talking about Christ is in heaven now, but there is a time of restoration that's going to take place, obviously more than one time. Now the word here that's used for time, you see it in the pre previous verse where it says times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. And then there are times of restoration. But both of those words that are in the Greek language, they had two words the Greeks did that they used for time. One is the word kairos, and then the other is the word chronos. Now, you and I are more familiar with chronos because chronos is the clicking of the, the ticking of the clock. Okay, I said it right. And uh, but it's 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 time. It's the passage of time. Okay, and so it has to do with that. There are specifics. You know, we. We build our lives, most of us build our lives off of time, 
and dates and years and months and all those different things. So we measure those. That is measurable. Kairos, on the other hand, which is used when it's talked about the times of refreshing, Kairos is not measurable because you can't specifically put a time for Kairos time. It doesn't use the word chrono. So I, and I'll explain why that is in a moment. So times of refreshing is Kairos times of refreshing, which means it's more of a season. Now, you know, in Michigan right now, we're experiencing an early fall, I think. Would you agree with that? I mean, I know it's fall seasonally, but but that doesn't ever, that means nothing, right? You know, they say, well, it's the beginning of summer, and in spring it was 95 degrees. Okay, so when did it really, when do it, I don't know who decided all, they're, they're going by some equinox thing. But, but they're trying to use chronos time to measure kairos time, and you can't do that. It doesn't work. Because Kairos time happens when it happens, and you just got to be prepped for when it happens. And Kronos time is something that you know it, like you know that Christmas is coming, right? Yeah, I see some of you all putting on, you know, you put on Facebook, you know, 100 days till Christmas or whatever, and, you know, middle of July, somebody's putting on only so many days to go. Okay, you know that day's coming. So you can measure, you can prepare for it, right? You can measure, prepare for that day because you know exactly when it's coming. You also measure and prepare for, you also prepare for Kairos time, but Kairos time is in somebody else's hands. There are other factors involved. You know, there are no factors involved for when Christmas is. There is, there are factors determining when fall is actually going to happen. So now leaves are dropping and we're having an early fall. The farmer recognizes this because they, their harvest time is not always the same. It, it just isn't. You harvest when it's ready. You don't harvest on a date. If they said, okay, we're going to harvest October 20th, they've already missed a very opportune window to harvest because it's ready now. Soybeans were ready real early. And look, if you think I know anything about farming, I don't, so I'm just telling you. But I, but, but I understand the Bible. I'm an expert on the Bible, okay? So when we talk about Kairos time, what we're saying is, is that you can't put in a specific time to it. When we're talking about Kronos time, you can put it specific. There are specific things that will happen, okay? Are you with me right now? So he says... Kairos times of refreshing means that the Spirit really is the one that causes those things to take place. You know, if the Lord told us, uh, you know, if he said, uh, uh, this coming Sunday is going to be really powerful and I want you to be in church because I'm going to breathe on everybody. But you know what? The Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't say, get to church this coming Sunday. God says, you just make sure you're there. And when I'm ready, I'll blow in. Okay. Right. Right. What did the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? He's like the wind. He, you don't know where he's coming from when he's, he does things. The, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he decides. You don't get to decide when the gifts operate. You may have a gift, but you don't even get to turn it on until God says it's time to turn it on. Right? I mean, I operate in the gift of the word of knowledge. If, I, if that was true, I'd just turn it on all the time. Right? But the Spirit is the one who 
breathes the life into that gift in your life. So you don't just turn it on all the time. There are things that are turned on all the time. You're anointed all the time, okay? That's always there. Now, let's move to the next one, though, where he says there are times of, there is going to be this times of restoration of all things. Restoration means makes to bring something back to its original state. It's not renovation. Almost all of us are familiar with renovation. But if you're into cars, real car, you know, and I'm talking about like old muscle cars and antique cars, or you've ever done a house where you tried to bring it back to what it was, most people don't do that with houses usually, but they'll do that with a car. I love going to car shows, man. You see this car, and they can't just put, you know, whatever they want in the car. They can't just go down to the hardware store or the auto parts store and go, uh, yeah, I need a muffler. Because they have to actually put a muffler on that car that is exactly like the original muffler that was on that car. That's what restoration is is to make something, bring something back to what it, what it originally was, to that new... Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So you, what we're more familiar with is, is, is not restoration. We're, we're more familiar with just taking something and renovating it, all right? So, you know, if you go by, you know, somebody says, I restore furniture... And if it doesn't look like it did when they first got it, they're not restoring it, they're renovating it. Okay? I'm not picking on, I'm just saying, you know, Sharon's got this little workshop where she works on all this stuff and does all these things. But she's not taking anything back to what it originally looked like because she's taking it to some other altered state. So there's paint on it and, you know, well, it didn't look like that originally. She's doing something. But if she took it back, if she stripped it, sanded it and took it back and made it look exactly like it did when it was brand new, when it was first created, she restored it. Okay? So big difference. It's restitution. It's that bringing it back to what it originally was. Now look at all of that. Now I've given you a lot of background here to look at this verse the right way. Whom heaven, Jesus Christ, must receive until the times of restoration. When things are, so there are going to be, in your future, there are two times of restoration that are going to happen. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, when Christ returns in the clouds, that first restoration that will happen, you will be restored to what God originally, your physical body and your life will be restored to what God originally intended for you. Amen. New body. Look at your neighbor and say, new body. The Bible says, I mean, look, it says it real clear in Thessalonians. The trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds. That first restoration, time of restoration that happens, Jesus is not on the earth. He's in the clouds. Now, I'm going to do one of the series I'm going to do is on end times. You know, we made it through last Saturday, thank God, so I can preach on that, right? <laughs> but the time, the, the, the first, that's the first 
See, it says heaven receives him until the times of restoration. So there are, there's obviously more than one restoration that's going to happen. But you, you have to, based off the context we're putting this in, you have to agree with me that you can't restore something and then it needs restored again because it's already restored. So if it's already to its original state, it doesn't have to be brought to its original state again. Is this too deep? I can't tell if I'm going too deep here. All right, now, you know, Jeff talked about going deep. I like deep stuff, but sometimes it gets too deep, okay? <laughs> you know, we got to get our big rubber boots on and get through this. So the second restoration, because it's plural, times of, there is a restoration that happens when Christ does come back to the earth. And when he sets foot on the earth, the church is already gone. They're already with him, okay? And then there's a work that he will do on the earth. Now, that may not agree with all of your theology, and that's fine. You believe whatever you want. But I'm telling you, when Jesus returns in the clouds, I'm out of here. All right? So that's just my plan. And you say, well, that's escape theology. And I know some people probably on the Internet watching like, oh, you know, there's one of those escape theology people. And they, look, I, I don't have I'm not trying to get out of here. I want to get as many people saved as I can. Amen. And I got a lot of work to do. So one guy says, well, I'm just praying that I won't go in the rapture when it happens. All right. One, you don't get to pray. You, why are you praying against what God said in his word? You can't do that. So. A time of restoration. So that first one is, is that that's the trumpet sound. The dead in Christ rise. Their physical bodies rise out of the grave. They're joined together with the Lord, with their spirit. They become a new, they become restored completely to what God originally intended in the Garden of Eden for us to be. We'll be like, we'll be like original Adam, okay? Physically. Never die forever, okay? Now, the second one, when that happens, that's Christ's return to the earth with his army, and that's the total destruction of evil. Okay? The total destruction of evil. So there are times of restoration. Now, let's take another step into this. That word used time there is chronos. Chronos means that there is a set time, a set day, and a set hour and a set minute, and a set second. Who knows what that is? The Father. Okay? But because he is omnicognizant, meaning he's all-knowing, but he's, he's, he's also all-conscious, he can see future, past, present, all at the, he sees everything at the same time, every direction. You say, well, that just blows my mind. Hey, I don't want a God I can explain. Right? Do you? I mean, look, he's mind-blowing, in my opinion. You try to figure that all out. That God can look down, like Daniel talked about the wheel within the wheel. When God looks down, he can see everything that happened before, everything that's happening now, and everything that's happening in the future all at the same time. Because he is limitless. Limitless. See, for you and I to say, well, no, he's limited by the time that we're in, then we're saying that then there are limitations on God and that all of a sudden will now take away from who God is. God is limitless. We live in the finite time. God lives in the infinite. Yes, 
Hallelujah. Now I realize for most of our lives, you know, we will just scratch around on these ideas trying to figure out what they all mean. But, man, it should just keep us in awe of who God is. Wow. So the Father, the Scripture tells us that at some point the Father will say to the Son, it's time to go get them. Bring my people home. Okay? At that moment, the Father, the Christ, will descend from heaven. I mean, it'll happen so fast. The trumpet will sound. They're all ready. Heaven's all ready. Heaven has been ready for thousands of years for this, to, this event. That is set, that is it for right now is at a set time, but is only in the mind of the setter of time. And so when he says it's time, Jesus will leave the throne and he will come and get his church. At that moment, and like I said, I'm not going to get into all this because I, I want you to come back, all right? Uh, I want you to get into the series on, we're going to do on end times. But, but at that moment, what will happen is that is the only time the Antichrist can actually take over. As long as there's a praying church on the earth, the devil cannot win. The devil cannot win, I'm telling you. Because we are his... I, I, no matter what we are, okay, whatever part of the body we are, let's say that we are, we are the bunion on the bottom of the foot. All right? But regardless of what we are, we are the body of Christ. And the devil cannot beat the body of Christ. So as long as the body of Christ is here, the devil can't win. He may try to win. He may deceive people. He may cause corruption. He may cause terrorism. He may cause crazy stuff to happen, but he can't win because there's no way he can win because you're still here. Take you out and nobody's praying. Take the church out, this most powerful force that God intended in the, you know, the kingdom. Take the church out of the earth. And then it says in the book, and like I said, we'll get into this later, but in Thessalonians it says that he who lets will now be able to do what he needs to do that when, that, when we're taken out. Some people teach that the Holy Spirit is taken out of the earth. That can't happen. That won't happen. The Holy Spirit was here before you got here. You know, in, in Genesis, you read the Holy Spirit was on the face of the waters hovering over the darkness. So the Holy Spirit has always been here, will always be here, and is not going to, 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 is not going to be gone. You can't take the Spirit out. What you take is the ones that have authority in the earth. You take them out. They're not praying. Now the Antichrist has a leeway in to deceive people and to rule the nations. It'll look like for a long time, probably the rest of our lives, like the Antichrist is actually trying to take over. But it's been looking that way for a long time. You can't tell me that Hitler didn't look like the Antichrist, all right? Uh, you can't tell me that some of these other, you know, these other guys, Stalin and some of these others, did not look like the Antichrist and what they were doing. In fact, the Bible says, and like I said, then we'll move on. There have been many antichrists that have come, okay? But they can't ever get in completely to take the reign and rule that they want because there's a church in the earth. God always has reserved a remnant. You read this. You do, you do, if you like to study, just type in, the, in, your, in your Bible program the word remnant, 
and look at all the times that God has always reserved a remnant, 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 remnant. There's always people that are here, but you take the remnant, you take that all out and leave a church, leave a world without the church in it right now. Oh man, it's not going to, there's going to, it's going to be rough. There's going to be a lot of, man will destroy himself. There's no doubt about it. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those, one of those things that we just have to recognize and let that help you get rid of all fear, okay, of what could happen. I know people like, well, you know, what's North Korea going to do? And, well, they're going to do, you know, they're going to do wicked things. But we should be praying. We, we shouldn't just pray. You know, I know a lot of Christians are like, God, kill Kim Jong-un or whatever. You know, look, that's not the spirit you're of. How about we pray he gets saved and turns the whole nation? Uh, I'm not getting a lot of amens with that. But how about we pray revival breaks out in North Korea? Wouldn't that be awesome? And all of a sudden, they, they like pave the way spiritually. You know, the church is like, no, God, we need to assassinate these. We need you to get rid of them. Get, look, we, gotta under, we need to understand the spirit that we are of. We're the church. Let's not use our power for the wrong things. Hallelujah. That's good preaching. He said, well, and pastor, what in the world am I supposed to do until that time of restoration? I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked. I want you to turn to Hebrews. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give credit for this only one time. This was out of a conversation I had with Mark Chaffin last week. But the rest of it is from me. So... But you know, I believe you should give, I believe, hey, thank you. I believe, I believe that my mentor, John Maxwell, says you always give credit the first time. And then that, after that, it belongs to you. So I want you to see this. In Hebrews 6, well, you know, if you'd listen to the Holy Spirit, you'd know where to go. <laughs> oh, man. Then I wonder why Hebrews 6, now verse 9. And the writer of Hebrews is really dealing with people falling away and some of the things that can happen. And he goes on in verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust, unjust to forget your work and the labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And so if you're writing in your Bible, just circle the word the end until the end. Whatever your end is, okay, whether it's death or the return of Christ, that you will show diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Now look at verse 12. That's where I really want to get into. That you do not become sluggish. Anybody have a different word there? Lazy. Lazy. Anybody else? Slothful. Slothful. Ooh. What was it? Spiritually dull. dull. Those are fighting words, woman. Spiritually dull. Man. But imitate, now watch this, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right. Imitate those through who, who through faith and patience 
inherit the promises. Now, here's the thing. There are things that God wants us to have until this restoration process happens, till this till he returns. There are exceeding, if you look at Peter, you can do this on your own, but if you look in Peter, he calls them exceeding great and precious promises. He says that you would be partakers of those promises. In those promises is all kinds of things, like God talks about healing. God talks about, you know, mental soundness. He talks about, you know, restoring the soul. He talks about restoring our health. He talks about restoring the things that we've wasted. You know, there's a great passage in Joel where it says that I will restore to you the things that the canker worm and the some other kind of worm ate, okay? I mean, I'll, I'll restore it all to you. So there, is, there are restorations that God does until these times of restoration. Now, what you and I have to do, there's only two ways we get to receive those promises. One is through faith, and then patience. Now get ready for this. Get ready. You have nothing to do with your patience. Right? So no, wait. You, you can't pray for patience. God's, God's like, what are you praying for? I can't give you, Lord, help me be more patient. Now, God can help us be long-suffering, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, long-suffering is macrothumio in the Greek. It means to be long-suffering, to go through difficulty with God helping us to be able to sustain, to be comforted through that. And we all go through sufferings, and sometimes they are long-sufferings, and God can help us by the fruit of the Spirit to be able to deal with that. But patience here is the word perseverance. And so you and I have nothing to do with our perseverance, but we have everything to do with our faith. Some of you are looking at me funny, but let me, let me walk you through this. How do you get patience? Not just by waiting. Well, how do you trust him? I mean, you're right. I agree with you. You trust him no matter what, but how do you trust him? Because of your faith. So you can't have patience without faith. You can live in denial That's not patience. See, the Bible tells us clearly how we get faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you attain faith in your life. You are given the gift of faith and according to the measure of faith, excuse me, according to Romans 12, but the responsibility of increasing your faith is totally on you. Okay? And as you and I, as we increase our faith, guess what increases with that? Our patience. And it's only, see, if we have faith, if we say we have faith, but we don't have patience, then we really don't have faith. Because you can't have one without the other. Let me show you a passage, uh, uh, James chapter 1. And uh, James goes into this whole idea about patience, and, and he, he really lays it out about being able to persevere. James chapter 1. 
And uh, I want you to look at uh, verse, um, <laughs> I want you to look at verse one, 2, excuse me. We'll start there. All right. Now, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, have any, has anybody here can say that I have fallen into various trials? Didn't do anything for them to happen. They just happened. Come on, lift your hand up if you have. I mean, some kind of trial. It just felt like, ugh, gosh, what in the world is going on? Well, and you may, you know, we cause enough trials for ourselves, but there are trials we deal with that we just fell into. We didn't expect that, okay? When you fall into the various trials, knowing in that trial, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay, so here's the question. What's testing your faith? The trial, right? What tests our faith? Say, well, no, God's testing my faith. No, he's not. God's built trying to build your faith, not tear your faith down. All right? So, no, see, that's where religion has jumped in. This is traditional religious thinking. Knowing the testing of your faith, not that God is testing, but the trial is testing you. So whatever's going on around you, and for it to truly be a trial, here's what it's got to be saying. It's not working. It's, it's not work. It's not happening. It's not changing. It's not getting better. It's only getting worse. It's, it's, it's something's wrong. This tells us that the testing in that environment where trial is testing our faith is the only way that you can produce patience. And you cannot produce patience unless you first have faith in your life to face the test. To face faith to face the test. There we go. Well, pastor, I mean, that's hard. Yeah. See, it'd be a lot easier just to put it all on God and say, well, you know, Lord, why don't you just take care of this? Why don't you just fix it? And the Lord says, no, you obtain promises that I've established through faith and patience. Well, give me the, and then that's the first thing we'll, we'll ask for. Well, give me patience then. And God says, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not giving that to you. Right? It's like you and I asking God to give us strong bodies and we do nothing with them. Right? It's, it's saying, well, God, give me big muscles. I want big, I want big arms. I want, you know, I want, a, I want, a, I want big muscles. I want, a, I want abs of steel. And so God, give that to me. And God says, okay. Here's how you'll do it. Here's how, now listen how I said it. Here's how you'll do it. Right? Here's how you, what you got to do. Let me tell you what you got to do. So you got to start eating better. What does that mean? Well, you got to start eating. You know, you, you got to get off the sugar, man. But I like sugar. Well, what do you want? Okay, you got to get off the bread. Bread is the staff of life, God. uh, You're not going to find that in the scripture, but that's all right. If you won't believe that. (laughs) Okay, and then here's what I want you to do. I want you four days a week, I want you to sweat. 
I mean, I really want you to push your body. I want you to get you some, I want you to, you don't got to go by, just get a rock out of your yard and take it in your basement. I just want you to push it over your head a couple of times and lift it with your arms. And I want you to do stuff, just don't go buy nothing. Don't buy a single thing. And just get you a nice, good-sized rock that you can move around. And I promise you, this is what God would say, I promise you, I promise that if you'll move that rock around and you'll eat right, that you will get muscles. Well, Lord, okay, well, how long will it take? Yeah, that's really up to you. How long will it take? That's really on you. That isn't on me. You're asking me a question I can't answer because I don't know what you're going to do. If you do what most of America does, you're going to do nothing. The rock will stay in the garden and the food will stay on your plate. Oh, man. I know you like it. Stop it. Yeah. Well, I have a friend here. So for you and I to say, God, I want that. Lord, uh, oh, Lord, uh, I want to be prosperous. Help God. Lord, send now prosperity. Okay? I want to do that for you. I want you to be rich. Look, set aside all your thinking like, oh, no, God wants us to be poor. That's not true. God wants you to be rich, but not with riches so you can sit around, you know, with a crown on your head and say, what a good girl or boy I am. God wants you to be rich so the kingdom can prosper and profit. And God wants you to have good stuff in your life. He wants you to have, he wants you to have cars that run. I'd say you're rich if you got a car that runs. Amen. You say, well, my car looks like a piece of junk. Well, who made it that way? Huh? Well, it runs like a piece of crap. Well, did you change the oil? Did you? Well, now, no, Pastor, stop picking on my life. Oh, I want to prosper, man. I want to. Who put the McDonald's wrappers in the back seat on the floor? I'm going out to add inspection after church today. There's coffee cups. There's something moving under one of the wrappers there in the back seat. Something's come alive. You know, it's. <laughs> An old burger melted together with a old chicken and a nugget. You got some kind of zombie growing underneath all that paper now back there. Now look, what God says is, is that to you and I, man, I want you to prosper. I want you to, I want you to, I want to bless you. I want to help you. I, I want finances. I want you to have, I want you to live, if I, if I can say it like this without you taking it out of context, I want you to live secure. All right? Okay. Absolutely, God, I want that. All right, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Cut up your credit cards. Well, you got to have a credit card. No, you don't. You, a debit card's taken everywhere now, okay? Uh, tithe. And be generous. And generous doesn't mean just give money. Give of your time. Help people. Love people. You know, rake your neighbor's yard. Do mow their lawn. Well, yeah, but Lord, I just want the money. I don't want the work. Right? 
just make sure I get a bonus tomorrow morning, okay? Make sure I get some money. I need some. And God says, it goes back to what Sharon was saying. Look, you didn't plant nothing. You're not going to reap anything. You have no harvest because you're not putting anything. You're only, this will be really tough, but you know what? You're a pretty good crowd. You're, you're good folks. I, you know I love you. You're not harvesting anything today because you didn't plant anything yesterday. And, and by yesterday, I don't mean yesterday. I mean yesterday, back when it was time to plant. So if you want to start having harvest, you have to start planting today. You have to, you have to commit yourself to do that. Yeah, but I just want to pray for wealth. No, Pastor Lee, isn't it? I'm just going to ask God to give me. See, so John says, I want you to prosper and be in health. But see, then he finishes it with the clincher, even as your soul is prospering. Oh, man, my soul's got to prosper first? Yeah, because that's where faith and patience are working. Well, I, I heard, I don't care what you heard, that's the way that it is. You can't find a single place in the Bible, in the New Testament, any place that tells you you can ask God for patience. You can want it to say that. You could take stuff out of context and try to make it say that. But the only way that you're ever going to have patience in your life is, is that by one, having faith, two, facing trial, and letting your faith continue to grow. You are totally, absolutely, 100% responsible for your faith. Your pastor's not responsible for it. Your elders are not responsible for it. No one is responsible for your faith except for you. What you do with the gift that God has given to you is entirely up to you. The same is true with your health. You can blame everything you want on the world on your health, but the gift of health that you were given in the beginning, whatever you do with it from this day forward, will determine the value you'll receive out of it. You have the gift of finances in your life. Look, all of us have finances. We may not all have the same amount of finances, but we all have financial income into our life. What we do with that will determine what will happen with that in our future. And it is only through faith and patience that you and I will inherit the promises. Only. Bree, the Lord told me he's going to deliver you completely of migraines. I want you to stand up if you would, please. I know you've been battling these. They've been bad. And uh, amen. Just step right out here if you would. You know, not everybody has to stand. I'm sorry. I'm just going to pray for her. But amen. Any of you ladies here been delivered from migraines? Any of you? Come on, Mona. Come on. Come on over here, Vicki. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Father God. Yeah. Come on over, Vicky. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. God set you free from migraines? Yeah. How bad were they? Yeah. Like have to go to bed bad type migraines? Emergency room migraines. Okay. Amen. So that's pretty powerful. Now, God told me he's going to deliver you from them. He heard your cry. I know this thing has been a real battle for you. So I just, I want you to know that he, as a word of affirmation today, that he's going to do this in your life. 
okay? This is not a genetic thing. This is an attack in your body, okay? This is an attack, and we're going to break that attack off your life today. Amen? We're not going to do anything crazy. We're just going to lay hands on you. That's what, the, okay? You know, so we're not going to throw you on the floor and cast the devil out of you or anything like that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> but I do know this. God's going to set you free. Amen? Father God, I thank you. Lord Jesus, it is the anointing that destroys the yoke of of bondage. Father God, this woman, this daughter of yours, Lord, who loves you and serves you, believes in you, we, Lord God, say over her, she is a daughter of the covenant with you. And her body and her mind and her nervous system should be free from this completely. So right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we speak absolutely to her. Her flesh, these misfirings that are happening, that are creating this. And we release her completely from the... mm, There it is right there. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, that Bree is healed, that these migraines are gone, and they will never come back again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you, sweetie. God bless you. Give the Lord a good hand for Bree. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand, if you would. Mm. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. The Lord's coming back. We don't know when. Anybody who tries to say they know when is nuts. Okay? They've lost it. Throw their book out. Stop watching their show. Amen. And besides that, if when that time comes, and God, I'm going to tell you, if we're tied with Jesus, as soon as Jesus knows, you'll know. Okay? Because we're the body of Christ, right? So as soon as, as soon as he knows... Somebody said, well, he already knows. No, he doesn't. No. It's, it's a, where did you? People make stuff up. That's, not, that's nonsense. It's nuts. Don't do that. He doesn't know until the Father tells him. And then he'll know. And when he knows, you'll know. And it won't just be one prophet standing up saying, the Lord is returning, you know, in 1988. Whoops, missed it. 1989. Whoops, missed it. 2017. Whoops, missed it. The guy changed his date by morning. And then he started trying to backpedal and say, well, what I really meant. Anybody that's like, well, what I really meant. Click. Turn it off. I raised you guys in the spirit in this church to be way smarter than that. Amen. Hallelujah. We're not going to be deceived. 
Thank you, Pastor. Hallelujah. It's through faith and patience. You have everything to do with your faith. So how are you building your faith? Well, I'm I'm praying. You can't pray for faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means you are going to have to commit yourself to hearing the word all the time. Not just on church day, not just in the morning in your devotions, all the time. Because I'll tell you how you'll know the word's going in, because of if the word is coming out of you. (laughs) Amen. You're, You're contextualizing your life around scripture. And that's a great message in and of itself. But you're contextualized. Your whole life is contextualized by, oh, well, that's, oh, cattle on a thousand, on a hill. Look at all that. My father owns the cattle on a thousand. You, you see, you contextualize your whole life. Your kids are being brats. You're like, children are a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> your wife's not in a good mood. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> Your husband's a jerk. <laughs> my, there's no scripture. If there was, my wife would already know it. I promise you. And you're going. My husband loves me as Christ loves the church. <laughs> you contextualize your whole life. Financial needs happen. How do you respond? My God supplies all of my need according to his riches and glory through, by Christ Jesus. Health issues that we deal with. Even if we have to, you know, look, doctors are not a cur- Medicine is not an evil, wicked thing. It's a good thing. But even you've got to contextualize it in Scripture. Amen. You've got to contextualize it. You put it in Scripture and you say... Bless the Lord who daily loads me with my with benefits, who heals me of all my disease, all diseases. Hallelujah! I bless His name. He's look. Maybe He used a doctor. Maybe He used a service like this with Bree. Maybe He used whatever. Maybe it was just in your personal devote. But you contextualized that when you got to take two Tylenol. Look, contextualize it with Scripture. Put it into context. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God, Jim, somebody invented a heart machine that could help you. Amen. Glad we got you around still. Praise the Lord. Pray that the batteries never run out. Amen. That they just glory. They're, they're, you know, ever ready. Just go, 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 go. Energizer bunny. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. But you contextualize it. That's what faith does. And that's when patience comes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Lord, I thank you for the love that you have for us. God, and I thank you for your patience with us. Man, you really are a God of faith. (laughs) Because the stuff that we ask you to do and the things that we pray sometimes, Lord, that you just are so patient with us. You persevere. You never give up on us. I know there, that you, you, you won't because you have faith. 
You say to a mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and not doubt in your heart. God, when you do that, you believe it absolutely will come to pass because you are God and because you have faith. You say over our lives that we're the righteousness of God. And even when we don't act like it or think like it or uh, practice it in our lives on a daily, regular basis, you still say over us, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for those who are in battles right now. I'm going to ask all over the building today while heads are bowed. We're not going to bring people up, but if you're in a battle, uh, I just want you to lift a hand up right now. And just if you're, look, I don't, whatever that is, if there's a battle going on in your life right now, whether it's in your soul, God restores our soul. That's what it says in Psalm 23. It's in your health. It's in finances. God is the restorer of what has been wasted and stolen. Hallelujah. Father, you see.